0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom.
1: Terms apply. Happy New Year's Eve! I'm David Pogue, and this is Supposed to be Unsung Science. But most podcasts take the week off because, hey, it's New Year's and everybody's got better things to do. But you went to all this effort to start playback, so I'm going to offer you some good science listening anyway. You're going to get Chapter 13 of my audiobook, How to Prepare for Climate Change, absolutely free. This is the chapter on how to prepare for wildfires. And we're right in the middle of the winter wildfire season in the western half of the U.S., especially California. I chose this chapter because it's got more stuff you probably didn't know than just about any other chunk of the book. So here, as a New Year's gift, is a terrifying and yet reassuring chapter on preparing for and surviving fires. Chapter 13, Preparing for Wildfires Every natural disaster is upsetting, but nothing feels like the end of the world like a wildfire. It's dark in the middle of the day. The sky glows red. The flames tower over you, sometimes 150 feet in the air, making you feel terrified and tiny. The sound is deafening, like a freight train, marked by occasional booms as tires or propane tanks explode. And fires move fast, consuming everything in their paths at up to 60 miles an hour. Mike Kreidler, former firefighter and now insurance commissioner for the state of Washington, visited the 2018 Camp Fire while it was raging, the one that wiped out the town of Paradise, California, and killed 85 people. He says, Apocalyptic is the only way I could describe it. I've never seen anything like it. It was a Dresden-style firestorm. If a wildfire were an animal, we would consider it a fantastically successful product of evolution. Wildfires feed themselves on oxygen, which they suck up from ground level, and dry plant material, which they create as they go with their intense heat. Wildfires reproduce with amazing efficiency by sending hot floating embers to spawn new fires miles away. They're capable of creating their own winds, their own weather. And these aren't tornadoes, which blow out in minutes, or hurricanes, which last a couple of days. A wildfire can last months. You may live in one of the richest and most technologically advanced countries on Earth, but when it comes to wildfires, you're helpless. According to Linda Masterson, wildfire survivor and author of Surviving Wildfire, nothing can turn back a roaring wall of flames shooting hundreds of feet into the air Moving faster than you can run, burning at temperatures that can easily melt your refrigerator into a puddle of aluminum and reduce your house to a pile of ashes in a few hours. Firefighters can attempt to herd the general direction of the fire, to defend a few houses, or to put out small fires, but nothing man made can stop a wildfire. There was no firefighting to be done, says Woody Cullerton, former mayor of Paradise. It was a perfect storm. When a fire gets that big, all we can do is get out of the way and pray for rain, humidity, or a change in temperature and wind direction. Yes, wildfires destroy our homes and buildings with terrifying speed and impassivity. They kill people and animals. But they also kill trees and plants, thereby removing the root systems that used to hold the earth in place. The result can be massive erosion. And with the next big rain, mudslides of the kind that buried miles of Interstate 70 and 30 cars in Colorado in 1994, or the Santa Barbara mudslides of 2018 that killed 23 people and caused $177 million in damage. And then there's the smoke. Wildfires produce massive volumes of carbon dioxide, which only fuels the climate change cycle. Wildfire smoke contains dangerous and even deadly compounds. After a wildfire, the ash gets washed into reservoirs, contaminating the drinking water. The smoke also makes people sick in invisible ways by releasing toxins into the air. It's easy to consider a wildfire a devastating juggernaut and to think that you're powerless to prepare. People think, I can't stop it, therefore I'll do nothing, says Masterson. I won't make it so that my house can survive. I won't make it so that I can collect on my insurance. I'll just be scarlet and gone with the wind. No, you won't be able to put the fire out. But that doesn't mean you can't prepare. How wildfires happen. A fire requires three ingredients. Oxygen, fuel, and heat. If you can take away any one of those things, you can put out the fire. For example, covering a small fire with a blanket puts it out because you've eliminated the oxygen. Clearing the vegetation away from one side of a fire puts it out because you've eliminated the fuel. Spraying the fire with water puts it out because you've eliminated the heat. Unfortunately, once a fire gets big, you can't do any of that stuff. They don't make blankets big enough to cover a county in California. Once it's going, the ferocity of the fire depends on weather, hot, dry, and windy preferred, the fuel dry grass, leaves, trees, houses, and the terrain. As it moves, a wildfire preheats the surrounding plants, drying them out just in time to serve as fuel for its advance. Wind is a fire's best friend. It feeds oxygen to the fire, making it bigger and hotter. It helps to dry out the fuel in the next region to be burned, and it pushes the fire across the land. That's why, when you read about some horrifying, out-of-control wildfire, you so often hear the firefighters pin their hopes on shifts in the wind. Wildfires make things worse for us by generating their own winds, which can blow ten times as fast as regular wind, strong enough to fling burning logs long distances. Fires move uphill four to five times as fast than they do downhill. That's partly because the flames have a better angle to heat up the next stretch of vegetation and partly because wind itself tends to gust up slopes. Wildfires Catching On You pick a metric, deaths caused, land burned, cost of damage, and you'll find the wildfire numbers climbing sharply. In the U.S., we're getting huge fires, more than 1,000 acres, about five times more often than we did in the 70s. And they're burning 10 times as much area, about 10 million acres a year. In 2018, for the first time, wildfires surpassed hurricanes as the costliest natural disaster in the United States. That year, 8.8 million acres burned, the land footprint of 74 of the 75 biggest U.S. cities combined. Wildfires seem happy to strike almost anywhere in the U.S. In 1998, it was Florida. In 2015, Oregon and Washington. In 2016, Tennessee. And in 2017, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas. And California. Poor California. Here's its recent wildfire track record. 2017. About 71,500 wildfires burned 10 million acres, killed 23 people, and took out 8,700 buildings. The insurance claims totaled $12 billion. 2018. The Mendocino Complex fire was the biggest fire in California history by a huge margin. It burned down 460,123 acres. Together with the nearby car fire, it destroyed 8,900 homes and 800 cars. That was July. Then in November, the campfire, at the time the deadliest and most destructive fire ever recorded in California, left 85 dead, 153,000 acres burned, and 18,800 buildings wiped out. The town of Paradise was 95% destroyed. 2019 The late October wildfires in California drove 200,000 people from their homes. The governor declared a state of emergency. The Kincaid Fire burned more than 76,000 acres, twice the size of the city of San Francisco. And in L.A., the Getty Fire caused the evacuation of 7,000 homes. 2020. An extremely dry winter, Including the first rain free February in San Francisco since 1864, a vast tree die off, a resurgent drought, and heat waves spelled trouble for California in 2020. And sure enough, as wildfire season began in August, a freak series of 11,000 lightning strikes within 72 hours helped launch the worst California fire season in recorded history. Within days, more than 7,000 fires raged, burning up more land than all of California's 2019 fires combined. In the San Francisco Bay Area, three of them became the biggest megafires in state history. Over 100,000 people fled their homes into what, even at midday, looked like an orange-brown twilight. The air quality in San Francisco was the worst on the planet four times worse than downtown Beijing's. Dozens of towns were destroyed or evacuated, and not just in California. Oregon and Washington state, too, were experiencing the largest fires in their history. In ordinary years, Oregon Governor Kate Brown tweeted, an average of 500,000 acres burn in an entire year. We've seen nearly double that in three days. At one point, the state told 10% of the entire Oregon population to prepare for evacuation, 500,000 people. The air became so opaque that Alaska Airlines flights out of Portland and Spokane airports were suspended. By late October, over 6.3 million acres, an area the size of Connecticut, Delaware, and Rhode Island combined, had burned across 12 western states, destroying thousands of buildings and killing at least 43 people. Even ecosystems that don't usually encounter wildfires ignited, including forests of Joshua trees and redwoods. The fires sent a vast stream of smoke, gases, and ash into the sky, hundreds of miles wide. Satellite images showed the massive plume crossing the entire United States, where it created yellow haze in New York City and was detected as far away as Europe. The COVID crisis made the fire's impact even more dire. Residents across three states were told to evacuate, and yet were advised to avoid congregating in shelters. And California's firefighting forces, usually supplemented by inmates from state prisons, were smaller since so many inmates had been released to protect them from the coronavirus the firefighters' efforts were further hampered by the necessity to live in hotels and empty fairgrounds rather than base camps closer to the fires, and distancing rules that dictated fewer firefighters in each truck and greater spacing on the front lines. But the United States doesn't have a monopoly on monster wildfires. In British Columbia, Canada, 3.1 million acres burned in 2017. It was the largest burned area in a single season in recorded history until more wildfires beat that record the following year. In 2015, Indonesian fires reduced 6.4 million acres to ash and burned for much of the year. The record amounts of toxic smog, the South Asia haze, killed 100,000 people. In 2018, wildfires swept through Athens, Greece, killing 80 people and burning 1,500 homes. Brazil, Spain, Latvia, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Portugal, the United Kingdom, Siberia, and even the Arctic Circle have all burned in the last two years. And then there's Australia, where nobody will ever forget the 2019-2020 fire season. Sparked by a three-year drought, the worst in decades, and a heat wave that broke all national records, and abnormally powerful winds, fires raged in all six Australian states and burned several towns to the ground. About 46 million acres burned, an area 24 times as big as the land burned in the 2018 California wildfires. The fire was so huge that its smoke rose nine miles into the sky and created its own weather systems, which produced lightning, which in turn started new fires. The smoke in Sydney was ten times thicker than is safe to breathe, so thick that people's home smoke alarms went off, and ferry service was suspended because the boat pilots couldn't see. The smoke cloud eventually grew to the size of the continental United States and created hazy skies in South America, half a planet away. A billion animals died in the Australian fires, including a third of all koalas. Experts assume that a number of species were driven to extinction, because so many creatures exist only in Australia. And yet, as bad as the wildfire problem has become, it's not as bad as it's going to be. By 2050, the regions of the U.S. burned each year by wildfires is expected to expand from two to six times what it is today. Wildfires and Climate Change There have always been wildfires, and in the kind of patterns that nature has in mind, that's a good thing. They're part of a natural cycle. They burn away thick tree canopies and deadwood on the forest floors so that sunshine can reach the ground for new plants to sprout. They burn away diseased plants and infestations of bugs. They consume decaying plants and logs, returning their nutrients to the soil. Some plant seeds, in fact, require wildfire heat to split them open. But something has changed. Wildfires today are bigger, more frequent, and longer-lasting than at any time in recorded history. Fire experts still remember when a 30,000-acre fire was considered huge. Today, 300,000-acre fires burn regularly. The reasons are all related to climate change. More fuel The warmer climate evaporates more moisture, which dries up forests and vegetation. Eventually, millions of acres become a massive powder keg waiting for a lit cigarette, a power line spark, or a bolt of lightning to begin a blaze. It's no surprise that California's horrific run of wildfires coincides with six of the hottest years ever recorded there, 2015 to 2020. Less snowmelt In the warmer world, spring begins earlier so the forests are dry for a longer stretch each summer. What used to be a summer to autumn wildfire season is quickly becoming a year-round phenomenon. Less rainfall. Rainfall patterns are changing in the new climate too. Just our luck, there's less rainfall in the places most likely to get wildfires. California's rainy season is rapidly shrinking to a December to February stretch. The rest of the year is getting less and less rain, essentially becoming wildfire season. Less rain equals more droughts, too, which are welcoming committees for wildfire. Shifting Winds The Santa Ana winds are responsible for 80% of the damage in California's wildfires. These are annual winds that blow westward from the hot, dry desert regions of Nevada and Utah across Southern California and out to the sea. They blow hard, 40 to 100 miles an hour, and they're responsible for California's weird, hot, dry autumn weather. But they're also contributors to wildfires, because they're hot and dry, and they're wind. In the hotter world, these winds are becoming even drier, making them even more susceptible to fanning the flames. As a result, meteorological models predict a 70% increase in wildfires by 2050. Beetles The warmer climates have invited massive armies of bark beetles to crawl into northern forests that used to be too cold for them. They've killed hundreds of millions of trees in the U.S. and Canada. Trees that, once dead, dry out and become superb kindling. More lightning Among the wildfires that aren't started by human carelessness or arson, lightning is the most common fire starter. Around the globe, lightning strikes the Earth 8 million times a day, but by 2100, that number is expected to increase by 50% thanks to an increase in water vapor in the air. In addition to warming the climate, we the people make two more direct contributions to the growing wildfire problem more aggressive construction. A huge part of the problem is the growing W-U-I. That's the goofily named Wildland Urban Interface, which is pronounced, even more goofily, WUI. It refers to areas where humans build their homes right up against wilderness, like forests and chaparral. We've been building our homes deeper and deeper into wildfire fuel territory, expanding the WUI for decades. At this point, a third of all homes in the United States sit in these areas. That's one reason the costs of wildfires keep skyrocketing. For example, nine of the ten costliest wildfires in U.S. history have all burned since 2003. If a wildfire rages in some unseen forest, nobody adds its damage to the dollar figure of destruction. Only recently has it occurred to developers that once-in-a-lifetime wildfires Have become an annual threat. All told, 4.5 million U.S. homes sit in areas with high or extreme risk of wildfire. More aggressive firefighting. Weirdly, part of the reason we're getting more fires and bigger fires is our century long habit of putting out wildfires when we can. When we put out fires at every opportunity, we're stifling nature's cycles. The brush becomes overgrown. The tinder builds up. Malcolm North, a fire ecologist with the U.S. Forest Service, told NPR, Every time you get one of these big fires, it is the result of a hundred years of management decisions, where they went and put out lightning strikes. They limited or shut down prescribed fire. And those decisions eventually accumulate and bite you in the butt. Fortunately, we're learning the lesson. Today, most forestry experts are inclined to let natural fires burn, that is, when they don't threaten civilization, and may even start controlled burns, prescribed fires, themselves. But it will take a couple of tree lifetimes before our better forest management practices begin to affect wildfire frequency. How they spread A building can catch on fire in three different ways. Conduction is what you probably imagine. Flames from the fire lapping against the side of the house, igniting it. But that's actually not what sets most houses on fire. Convection is how wildfires burn down most houses. Hot air, rising from the fire, creates a column of superheated smoke. Embers flying through the air, sometimes a mile or two in front of the fire. alight in dry leaves or dead needles in your gutters waft into your attic through the soffit vents, blow in through the windows, ignite dried-out roofing tiles, or lodge against the wall and ignite it. Over half of all houses that burn down in wildfires ignite from these embers. Radiation is heat thrown off by a fire. When it's cold out and you're sitting by a campfire, fire radiation can feel good. But the radiation from a wildfire is far more dangerous. It can set your house on fire from as far as 30 feet away. How to prepare now. Don't go blaming Mother Nature for wildfires. Lightning and lava can start one, but 90% of them are started by people, either through maliciousness or stupidity. Downed wires and improperly maintained power company equipment led to the Camp Fire and 12 other fires in California in 2017 and 2018. It turns out that dry grass, strong winds, and high voltage aren't a great combination. The resulting lawsuits have driven Pacific Gas and Electric into bankruptcy. By a huge margin, though, the winner of the Dumb Ways People Start Wildfires Derby is campers who don't fully put out their campfires or who have no way to stop campfires that grow out of control you can make sure you're not one of the responsible parties like this. Check with a ranger or park officer to see if you're even allowed to start a campfire given the current conditions. Start your campfire only within a ring of stones or metal. Don't start a fire until you've rounded up enough water to put it out if it starts going wild. Keep your firewood at a safe distance from the fire pit. After you've put the fire out, it should be so out, cold, wet, still, and silent, that you can run your hand through the ashes. Other popular ways people start wildfires? Burning yard debris, slash piles. In certain times and places, burning your trimmings is legal. Others not. Either way, wind can quickly carry embers into nearby burnable vegetation, and it's off to the races. Call the local fire department before you burn. They'll advise you on current conditions and maybe suggest that you wait a couple of days. Then, before you burn, look around for potential wildfire fuel, either near the slash pile's edges or hanging over the top. You want an open space above the fire that's three times the height of the pile and around the fire that's at least 10 feet of cleared wet dirt, pavement, or gravel. Watch the pile burn, standing by with a hose. Once the pile is out, water it and shovel dirt over it, more than once. Check it for the next few days to make sure nothing is still burning. Tossing cigarettes. You can't just toss a cigarette out of the car window or drop it to the ground. If you're in the woods, you have to squish the butt with your shoe so that it's completely and utterly out, and then kindly take it with you. Logs, stumps, and branches do not make good ashtrays in the wild. Kids. For heaven's sake, watch your young people when they interact with matches, lighters, firecrackers, or fireworks. Keep them from doing something dangerous. Wildfire Gear. Preparing for a wildfire neatly follows the general emergency prep outline described in Chapter 8. Long before the fire starts, you should create a go-bag for each family member. Think about escape routes. Sign up for early warning alerts and equip yourself with apps or a NOAA radio that keeps you apprised of the latest fire news. But prep for wildfire involves a few extra pieces of gear. A fire extinguisher. A basic one costs $20. Teach everyone in the family how to use it. Smoke detectors are required by law in most places, but they're especially important in wildfire country. True, you'll smell and see a wildfire with your own nose and eyes before your smoke detector goes off. But what about when you're sleeping? So, of course, it's important to keep the batteries fresh in your smoke detectors. Of all deaths at home and fires, 59% occur in homes with missing or broken smoke alarms. Prepare your air filter. If your home has central air conditioning or central heating, you've got an ace in the hole, a powerful whole house air filter. When the smoke hits the fan, you'll be glad it's there, filtering away ash and particles that you otherwise would have had to breathe. You want to filter with the highest MERV value your system can handle. The higher the MERV rating, minimum efficiency reporting value, they go from zero to 16, the finer the particles the filter can scrape out of the air. But here's the thing. Not all air handlers have the power to suck air through the thickness of a high-efficiency filter. You can't slap a high MERV filter onto a medium MERV furnace. That'll damage your equipment. Look up your air handler's maximum MERV in its user manual. If that's long gone, Google the model number. In any case, before any fire starts raging you should get some high MERV filters, at least MERV 8 or whatever is the highest your system can handle, and have them ready, including spares. All of this is especially important if anyone in the house is likely to be more affected by the smoke. The very young are old, people with lung or heart conditions, pregnant women. Windex and wipes for the car. If you have to evacuate or drive through smoke, the inside of your windshield can get dark and ashy from the smoke. Have wet wipes or paper towels and water or window cleaner handy. Consider an air purifier. Chapter 3 describes the different kinds of air purifiers you can buy for your home. Here again, they're mostly important if there's someone in the house who's especially susceptible to the smoke. Keep in mind, though, that most air purifiers don't remove gases from the smoke. A good reason to close your house's cracks as tightly as you can. If you think one might be useful, buy it now. Once wildfires break out, they'll be sold out of every store. Consider a mask. If you live in wildfire country, look into buying a couple of N95 or P100 respirator masks. They should say NIOSH, right on the filter material, meaning that they're approved by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. A box of 10 costs about $22, at least when there's no coronavirus plague going on. These masks can be useful if you have to go outside in the smoke, especially if you'll be working or exerting yourself. They're not a slam dunk, though. For example, these masks don't work if they're not fitted tightly to your face, which means they don't fit children and they don't work over a beard or sideburns. Note, too, that the masks keep ash and particles out but don't do anything to block fumes and gases. The masks come in sizes. You want one that'll fit over your nose and under your chin, and that has two straps for your head, not one. If there's a metal tab over the bridge of your nose, pinch it down. These masks can make it hard to breathe, which can lead to a faster heart rate and heat stress. If you're feeling dizzy or having trouble breathing, go indoors and take the mask off. Depending on your budget, proximity to the wooey, and sense of paranoia, you might also want to equip yourself with some nice-to-have tools like these. Fire tools like buckets, shovels, rakes, axes, and saws. A ladder tall enough to reach your roof. Drapes made of heavy, fire-resistant fabric. You can also get your curtains, drapes, and upholstery sprayed with fire-retardant treatments a hose or hoses long enough to reach any spot around your house and exterior faucets to connect them to. These should be the frost-free or freeze-proof type. Finally, do you know how to open your automatic garage doors manually? Once you've abandoned the house, you'll want them closed, but you may need to open them to get out. And do you know how to shut off the gas or propane or fuel oil? That's an extremely important task before you evacuate. The clean room. The EPA suggests designating, as part of your preparation, a clean room, the room you'll hole up in when there's a wildfire nearby but you can't evacuate, or have been advised not to. If you can predict where the fire will be coming from, if, for example, the forest is only on one side of your home, this should be a room farthest from the fire, Not the basement, though, where you'll be trapped if the house collapses. This room should be big enough to hold everyone in the family, like a bedroom with a bathroom attached. This is the room you'll want to equip with an air purifier. During your stakeout here, you'll close, but not lock, all the doors and windows and run the purifier nonstop. Insurance. As you know from Chapter 6, The only thing growing faster than sea level and temperature is the importance of good insurance. The good news is that homeowners insurance covers fire and smoke damage. Even water damage caused by firefighters putting out a fire is covered. Just this once, the cards seem stacked in your favor. The bad news, though, is that the insurance companies are quickly getting sick of paying for wildfire damage to homes that everybody knows are in wildfire country. It's like, dude, you chose to build or move there. Why is that our problem? That may not be the actual wording in your policy. In the wildfire-happy Western states, the insurance companies are eliminating wildfire coverage from home policies or charging an arm and a leg for it or refusing to renew people's policies altogether. Chapter 6 has more on this distressing pattern. During the fire As in other extreme weather events, the National Weather Service issues both wildfire watches, conditions are right for wildfire, and wildfire warnings, wildfires currently burning. If you get an evacuation notice, it may be termed voluntary or precautionary, meaning this is the first sign of danger, or mandatory or immediate threat, meaning get out now. But wildfires are different from other disasters in one important regard. The early warning system may well be you. As Linda Masterson puts it, wildfires get reported by human beings. They do not get sensed by some big old wildfire eye in the sky. There are no helicopters flying over wildfire country every day. People have to call people, and they have to call people, and then the county has to figure out who's in the evacuation zone. She and her husband did get a call, ordering them to evacuate their home, nine hours after it had burned to the ground. If you spot a fire, call 911 to report it. You may well be the first person to call it in, and you might be saving people's lives. How to get warned Fortune favors the prepared, and in a disaster, fortune favors those who get out first. You don't want to be trapped in traffic as a 10-mile wall of flames bears down. By far the most essential preparation step is ensuring that you'll find out about an evacuation order. Refer to Chapter 8 for details on FEMA's Wireless Emergency Alert Network and your local reverse 911 notification system, which you must sign up for in advance. It's free and relatively simple. Do it today, then you can forget about it. How to Evacuate If you get a mandatory or immediate threat alert, get out. Forget your house, your belongings. Just grab your kids, pets, and go bags, and go. If you feel threatened, no need to wait for the official evac order. Just go. Wildfires start fast and move fast. What you see, hear, and smell may provide more recent information than the government systems. The longer you wait, says Masterson, the better are the chances that you could be trapped. And trying to get out in the middle of a fire that's blowing up is a heart-stopping experience. But what if you have a little time? Maybe there's a wildfire in your area, but it's nowhere near your neighborhood. You can give your home a much better chance of surviving the wildfire by running through as much of this checklist as you can. Naturally, it's quicker if you have family members to share the tasks. Gather the family and the pets. Outline the plan, which, having heard Chapter 8, you've all covered before. Keep everyone calm. Assign everyone jobs. Call your neighbors to make sure they've gotten word of the evacuation. Close up the house, tightly. The idea is to protect the house as best you can should the fire come near. Close every door, window, and vent on every floor of the house, including dog doors. Take down your drapes and curtains unless they've been fire-treated. Close your shutters, shades, blinds, and any remaining drapes and curtains, the fireproof ones, to prevent radiant heat from setting the interior on fire. You should even close all interior doors so that there's no air movement that could spread fire from one part of the house to another. Pull furniture away from the doors and windows. Close the garage doors. Turn off the A.C., the heat, and the fans. You don't want air moving through the house at all. Someone should do a sweep outside to move everything burnable inside or into the garage. Patio furniture, doormats, trash cans, toys, and so on. Invite the firefighters. When a wildfire strikes, firefighters are instructed to do everything they can to defend homes. But there are more buildings than there are firefighters. Every year, some homes burn to the ground because they weren't accessible to fire trucks and gear. This is really important. You want to make it easy for them to reach your house and protect it. To begin, turn on every light, inside and outside the house. Make your house visible through thick smoke. Think about the fire trucks. Do they have room to park? Is there a gate you should open? Think about the people who will be trying to defend your house in a dark, smoky, chaotic, dangerous atmosphere. If you have a roof-reachable ladder, haul it out and lean it against a corner of the house. Hook up your garden hoses. Make them easy to spot. Fill up buckets with water and leave them around the house so that a firefighter will have a quick way to douse small flames. Move your lawn furniture and deck chairs into a cluster downwind from the house so they won't catch the firefighters' hoses as they maneuver. Clear off the deck. Lots of stuff on a typical patio, porch, or deck is flammable. Furniture cushions, woven mats, potted plants, propane tanks on grills. All of that stuff is catnip for embers, and it's right up next to your house. Get it inside or far away. Wet everything. Moisture slows flames. Use a hose or sprinklers to soak your roof, shrubs near the house, and fuel tanks. Don't leave the water running, though leave enough water pressure for the firefighters to use when they arrive. If you have a pool or a hot tub, feel free to toss anything valuable into it that won't be ruined by a little water exposure, a box of jewelry, a stone sculpture, a Ziploc bag of anything. If your house burns to the ground, this stuff has a shot at being saved. Shut off the gas, propane, or fuel oil. If you have a grill with a propane tank, move it far away from the house or other buildings. If your place does get in the way of the fire, the last thing you need is stuff blowing up. Dress for fire. This might sound grisly, but here it is. Synthetic fibers like nylon, acrylic, and polyester can melt onto your skin, causing severe burns. If cotton and woolen fabrics catch fire, on the other hand, they just turn to ash and fall off. Note to people with fancy pajamas, silk is the worst. It catches fire easily and burns fast. The bottom line, as you escape, put on long, close-fitting clothes like jeans and tight-fitting long-sleeved shirts or tops. And sturdy shoes, no flip-flops. Gloves and bandanas are helpful, too. Move the cars. Get them positioned to zoom away without turning so you'll be able to go fast if you have to. Open the animals' gates. If you have animals that you can't evacuate, horses, for example, give them a chance to escape. Tell somebody out of town, like a friend or relative, that you're leaving and where you're going. Keep your receipts. As usual, when the smoke clears, your insurance company will pay you back for whatever you spend during your evacuation. Check NCWeb at INCIWeb at Web nwcg.gov you'll find a central database of wildfires, prescribed burns, floods and hurricanes all over the United States with information provided by all government agencies zoom into your town click the icon of the fire in question and then click go to incident to open its information page you'll find photos, videos, maps and news updates along with buttons that let you follow updates about the fire on twitter, facebook or Instagram. This info also includes roads that may be closed and shelters that are open. Finish off your go bags with the last-minute items, your wallet, ID, latest medicines, water. Load the car with the go bags, your family, and your pets, and get going. Where to go? Okay, so you've evacuated. Now what? Drive slowly but steadily, headlights on, windows and vents closed. If your gang is in more than one car, the biggest and most rugged vehicle should lead. Be alert for fire and rescue trucks tearing by in the opposite direction. If you can make your way to the home of a friend or relative out of the fire zone, by all means go. Otherwise, check the Emergency Alerts app, the Red Cross app described in Chapter 8, or the FEMA app. Both will provide the addresses of emergency shelters that are operating during the wildfire. If you don't have these apps, you can also check the Red Cross website, redcross.org. Actually, it's a great idea to stop in at a shelter even if you don't need it. You can let them know you're safe so that rescuers don't waste time trying to find you, share and receive information about the fire, and talk to Red Cross insurance and emergency officials. If you think you won't be allowed back to your house for some time, call a hotel. The sooner you think of this idea, the better because the rooms book up in a wildfire. You're not the only one out of your home. Your insurance will reimburse you. If you had to leave animals behind, call the Humane Society, which is often allowed to go back to homes to make rescues, even when you're still forbidden. If you're trapped. Getting trapped behind a wall of fire when you're out and about, hiking, driving, evacuating, is not a great situation. In a wildfire, You really want to be inside a building. Here are the survival techniques for trapped situations. If you're on foot, drop your stuff and move as far away from vegetation as possible. Never go toward a fire, even if that's where your car is, where the trail entrance is, or where the GPS's instructions tell you to go. A fantastic option, hide out in the black, meaning a spot that's already burned. It won't be comfortable or cool, but at least the fire can't come back to kill you. If you see firefighters, run to them. If it's too late to escape the approaching wall of fire, lie face down in a depression, like a ditch or a stream bed, feet toward the fire. Dig a hole for your face to avoid breathing smoke. Call 911. Stay there, no matter how loud and scary it gets. If the fire passes over you, wait to make sure it's not coming back, and then make your way to safety, sticking to blackened, burned areas when possible. If you're in a car, park as far away from vegetation as possible and definitely not under trees. Close the windows and vents, lie on the floor, cover yourself with a wool blanket or jacket, if you have one, and call 911. Remember, smoke and gases rise. The lower your face is in the car, the better your chances of surviving. Don't get up if you hear a crash or see flashes. You're safer in your car than out of it. Stay there until the fire has passed and the temperature starts to drop. If you're at home and trapped by fire, call 911. Gather the family, including pets, into the clean room you've designated. Shove wet towels under the doors to keep smoke and embers out. Fill all the sinks, tubs, and trash cans with water. Close all the doors and windows, but leave them unlocked so rescuers can get to you. Pull down any drapes and curtains that aren't fire-resistant. Turn on all the lights and turn off AC and fans. As noted earlier, everyone should put on long sleeves, denim, cotton, wool, and sturdy shoes. Stay away from the windows. When the fire comes, it's shockingly loud and terrifying, but don't go outside. It's four or five times hotter there, and the air isn't safe to breathe. Stay low to the floor, always. Cover yourself with wool blankets or jackets, which don't burn easily. Linda Masterson notes that it takes about an hour for a house to burn down. Your goal, then, is to wait, long enough for the fire to pass, but not so long that the house collapses around you, and then make a run for it. Stay low and make your way to areas that have already burned. Sensitive groups Things are different if you're a member of a sensitive group, a term that pops up often in the government's writing about wildfires and smoke. You're in this special group if you're very old or very young. You have lung problems, such as asthma, allergies, or COPD. You have heart problems, or you're pregnant. In these cases, the health effects of wildfire smoke can be much more severe and can lead to chronic problems. Every guideline for wildfire safety includes special considerations for sensitive groups. Avoiding smoke. The best way to avoid smoke exposure problems is to avoid exposure to the smoke, mainly by staying inside. The air indoors is at least 50% cleaner than it is outdoors, so close the windows and doors and make yourself comfortable. In general, you won't be asked to evacuate for smoke conditions, only if your home is in the line of the fire. The exception? Sensitive groups. You should consider getting out of town until the smoke clears. Relaxing. Don't exert yourself. When you're exercising or working hard, you tend to breathe deeply and through your mouth, bypassing all those nice ash-cleaning hairs in your nose. In both cases, You suck more particulates deeper into your lungs. Be grateful. You're being ordered to sit inside and read or watch movies all day. Running the AC. If it's hot, run your air conditioner instead of opening the windows. And what if you don't have AC? Tough call. You can't open your windows because you'll let the smoke in. But staying inside invites heat stress. In that case, make every effort to go somewhere that does have AC. If you have central air or heat, your thermostat has a fan control. Set it to on instead of auto, so that you're recirculating your home's air through its central filters. A few air conditioners and homes have a fresh air setting, or a way to turn off recirculation of the air. Clearly, that's a function you want to turn off. You don't want your own home deliberately pulling smoky air in from the outside not making the problem worse. In a wildfire smoke situation, you've got your home sealed up as much as possible. For that reason, you're supposed to avoid creating smoke and fumes within the home by not smoking, using stoves or furnaces that rely on gas, propane, or wood burning, using spray cans, frying or broiling meat, burning candles or incense, or vacuuming. Vacuums with HEPA filters are okay. Close the car's windows and vents. If you must drive, put your car vent on the recirc setting so you're not bringing smoky air into the car. But get where you're going and then get out. Don't use the car as a shelter with windows up and the air on recirc. Especially in newer cars, the carbon dioxide buildup from your breath can become dangerous. Here, for your reference, are a few things that don't help, or don't help much. A towel, handkerchief, bandana, or tissue can keep embers and big ashes out of your mouth, but won't do anything to filter out fine particles or gases. It doesn't matter if they're damp or dry, they just don't fit tightly enough to your face. Surgical masks. Useless. The seal isn't good enough to keep out particles and gases. As you may have read 60,000 times during the COVID pandemic, these masks are primarily designed to capture germs coming out of someone's mouth. Dehumidifiers and humidifiers. According to the EPA, humidifiers and dehumidifiers, quote, will not significantly reduce the amount of particles in the air during a smoke event, nor will they remove gases like carbon monoxide, end quote. Sneak out when the smoke clears. During a wildfire, the smoke levels can change a lot, Smoke may settle in the streets during the night but then blow out in the morning. For example, you may be able to plan around the smokiest periods so that you can leave the house and get things done. To check out the current smoke conditions, visit inciweb.com, i n c i web, zoom in and click the fire near you. Local weather authorities annotate the smoke patterns in real time there. You should also bookmark airnow.gov, a national multi-governmental agency air quality database, updated hourly. At any time, wildfire or not, you can check out the current air quality where you live, or don't live. You can sign up for automatic emails, alerting you about air quality problems here, too. There's an Air Now app, but it seems to have been last updated in the Eisenhower era. You're better off with free modern apps, like Air Matters or Air Visual Air Quality Forecast. If you click Fires, Current Conditions below the map, you can see all the fires currently raging in the U.S. at this moment. Click an icon to see the current air quality reading for that area. After the fire It's not easy coming back to your home after a wildfire. The uncertainty is almost unbearable. Will your house still be there? Will there be anything left inside? What will you do while you rebuild? If you decide to rebuild, how much will the insurance cover? The first step is finding out if it's okay to go back. Ask somebody in charge, the fire or police department, for example, or check your emergency app or NOAA radio. As the firefighters, or the weather, makes progress putting out a fire, you'll hear that it's either contained. A fire that's 70% contained means that the fire is still burning but 70% bounded by barriers, trenches, rivers, burned swaths, or shallow 12-foot-wide trenches dug by firefighters. Note, however, that a contained fire can still rage for weeks or months more. It can also hop right over the containment line, if it really feels like it. Controlled is what you really want to hear. It means almost out. There's nothing left to do but send mop-up crews to put out the remaining hotspots. When you get back home, make sure that nothing is still smoking, smoldering, or sparking. Check the yards, plants, stumps, roof, gutters, attic. If anything is still a hot spot, call 911 to report it. You really, really don't want to be there when flames flare up again. The Insurance Process This is the moment you've been waiting for, the reason you paid such close attention to Chapter 6, Learn the ins and outs of your insurance policy, and took pictures of everything in your home. Call your insurance company and tell them about the fire. They'll send a representative quickly to look over the damage. The cleanup. You can begin the cleanup of your burned home in any of three ways. Use a government debris removal program. Your county or state may offer a cleanup program for its residents after a wildfire. You have to grant workers entry to your home, but the whole thing is free. In exchange, you agree to turn over your insurance payments for debris removal to the county or state. In general, they'll first haul away anything that's dangerous like asbestos, paint, and batteries. Then they'll come back to remove anything that's been burned, dangerous trees, contaminated soil, and destroyed foundations. The nice thing about these government-run programs is that they have an incentive to get the work done fast so that subsequent rains won't run all the ash and toxic compounds into the water supply. Hire a contractor. You can also hire an outside company to do the cleanup. You'll have to pay for this yourself. It's not cheap, but your insurance should cover it. Do it yourself. A grubby, sweaty, ugly job, but free. The Aftermath. Depending on the damage that was done to your home, you'll have to wrestle with a big decision. Rebuild or set up shop somewhere else. Keep in mind as you ponder that property values typically plummet by at least half following a wildfire. Who's going to want to buy land that's obviously in a danger zone? It will recover in a few years, but right after the fire is probably the worst time to sell. If your home was only partly damaged, Your big challenge will be getting the smoke smell and soot out of the surfaces and furniture. Masterson notes, for example, that you can't just paint over smoke-damaged walls. The smoke eventually seeps through. You may have good luck first cleaning the walls with TSP, trisodium phosphate, and then using an oil-based stain blocker before painting. Smoke-saturated rugs, furniture, curtains, and so on might have to be replaced. Don't throw anything away, though, until your insurance adjuster has had a look at it. The end of Chapter 6 describes the process of working with your insurance company after a disaster. The end of Chapter 8 covers the shaky, upsetting, slow process of recovering psychologically and financially. All of that is much, much easier if you've prepared. Take it from Linda Masterson, who lived through it. You can't prevent a wildfire, she says. If some yahoo throws a cigarette out the window and it hasn't rained in eight weeks, or somebody goes camping and doesn't put their campfire out properly, or lightning strikes in the middle of the woods in a windstorm, there's lots of things that happen that are not in your control. But how well prepared you are, how you know your evacuation routes, how you know your insurance, what you have with you, how well prepared you've gotten your family, that stuff is well within your control. How to Prepare for Climate Change has similar chapters on preparing for hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, droughts, heat waves, ticks and mosquitoes, and even social unrest. Not to mention chapters on where to live, how to insure, how to build, what to grow, where to invest, how to talk to your kids, how to prepare your business, and, and every other conceivable topic that pertains to climate crisis preparation. And now you know... It's not depressing stuff. My editor at Simon & Schuster actually calls it the first uplifting book about climate change because taking action makes you feel good. Being prepared means that you sleep better at night. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Unsung Science.
0: Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on Auto Trader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader. Are you ready? For an all-new season of Survivor, you better be because Survivor 46 is here and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor Podcast